This podcast is intended for UK and Ireland healthcare professionals only. It is my pleasure to welcome you to episode four of the Interstitial Lung Disease Academy Spotlight Podcasts, brought to you by Boehringer Ingelheim. Featuring prominent members of the UK and Ireland ILD community, these podcasts intend to shine a spotlight on the great work that is being done around the country and break down some of the challenges facing us in delivering the excellent care we deliver to our patients. My name is Dr Anne-Marie Russell, a clinical academic at the University of Exeter Respiratory Institute and Royal Devon and Exeter NHS Foundation Trust. I have a special interest in patient reported measures and outcomes in interstitial lung diseases and patient-centred approaches. Joining me on today's episode is Lorna Brown, physiotherapist team leader in respiratory support and pulmonary rehabilitation coordinator at the Royal Papworth Hospital Trust. Good morning. Welcome, Lorna. Morning, Anne-Marie. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And I wonder if we could start with you telling us a little bit about yourself uh, and, and the service you provide. Certainly. You, you're so welcome. I'm very happy to um, talk to you about what what I do. Um, so as you say, I'm a, a team leader at Royal Patworth, where I work in the field of respiratory support. Pulmonary rehab is something that I've always done almost as a little bit of a, a sideline to the inpatient work. Um, it's quite an exciting time for pulmonary rehab because the NHS is now starting to invest a bit more money into the patients who missed out during the lockdown and pulmonary rehab certainly falls into that category. So it's a really good opportunity for us now to extend the service. Um, I've actually been delivering pulmonary rehab since 1997 and in those early days that was based around COPD. And when I was setting up, I, I benchmarked other centres. Um, Glenfield is certainly known for its pioneering work that it did in pulmonary rehab. And it was good to take bits that I liked and um, individualise it a bit to our service with the expertise that I felt we could offer. And I have to say, I am extremely proud of our team, not only our physio team that delivers the exercise session, but our multidisciplinary team, which consists of OTs, dietitians, speech and language therapists, pharmacists, the nursing staff, psychological wellbeing service, and we even have a singing for breathing coach providing our education sessions. And in fact, I know we're quite the envy of the cardiac rehab team because of our truly multidisciplinary nature that we have to the rehab process. So, gosh, an amazing team. I'm not so surprised you're the envy of the, the cardiac team. It's, it's uh, quite refreshing to see that respiratory is ahead of cardiology in, in one regard. Um, so I, um, I wonder if you could tell, tell us a little bit more, Lorna, about the, the kind of patients that you see in, in the service. You, you've talked a little bit to activities. I'm sort of particularly interested in, in maybe the singing that you incorporate as well. Um, but do, do you see a mixture of patients in, in your service? Yes. Yeah, it's a real um, melting pot of diagnoses that we have in the groups. So COPD, which was really the model that pulmonary rehab is based on, we've got very few COPD patients. And in fact, the interstitial lung disease service are our main referrers. So I have the 
bulk of patients with a form of ILD, but I also have bronchiectatic patients, uh, patients with maybe a raised hemidiaphragm, so they're breathless on exertion, or maybe some asthma related. And in fact, we're looking to extend the service further to incorporate lung transplantation patients and pulmonary hypertension as well. Yeah, no, fantastic. So, so where do your referrals come from, Lorna? They come from, I have to say, they come from mainly in-house. So it's from, because we have an ILD service and a lung defence service, and of course, transplantation and a pulmonary vascular diseases, you know, these are all specialities that we have at Papworth. So we tend to get the referrals coming in-house. Having said that, I have had referrals from some respiratory nurse specialists out in the communities and of course referrals coming directly from patients themselves because they've heard about the the service and they want to know how to access it. Yeah yeah no great. So you said you you set up um, pulmonary rehab in back in 1997 so you've got a phenomenal amount of, of experience. So I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how pulmonary rehab looked prior to the COVID pandemic um, and then possibly speak to the, the changes we've encountered over the last 18 months or so? Sure. So that's sort of what I would refer to as almost the good old days where, uh, you know, we, we, we would always assess people individually um, because it's really important to look at people's exercise capacity, how they how they perform on exercise, how breathless they get, if their oxygen level desaturates, if there's any requirement for oxygen therapy, and also to look at the way that they recover from breathlessness because I almost think it should be called more breathlessness rehab than pulmonary rehab because breathlessness is the focus. That's the symptom that prevents patients from doing what they want to do or what they used to be able to do. So there's always a lot of focus on that. So we'd assess people individually and then they'd come up to the gym, maybe in groups of 12, and they'd work through the exercise circuit. And the exercise circuit was mainly strength training work. And because people have varying levels of breathlessness and varying degrees of recovery, they could work through that sort of a bit ad hoc. So people who got through the circuit with time to spare, had the opportunity to have a go on the treadmill, the rower, or the exercise bike before they got that well-earned cup of tea that they got and they could then listen to the educational session that followed after exercise. And then at the end of the, it was a, a six-week programme where they would attend twice a week, so they got 12 supervised exercise sessions. We'd expect them to do some homework or exercise on their own at home. And then at the end of the programme and the last session, we would repeat those walking tests and the outcome measures to um, see if we could see uh, the degree of improvement that patients had made. And so I'm guessing during the time that one can have a cup of tea, there's there's probably quite a bit of peer support that goes on within the group. Yeah, and I don't think we can underplay that enough, really. There's a huge amount of peer support that goes on. And in fact, for patients that had completed the six-week programme, I had... Um, formed this maintenance program for post rehab graduates that would come along so they got to know each other extremely well so yes there's a lot of support and there's a lot of exchange of useful information for example 
Some people will say how what tricks they use to help get their breath back or perform an activity a bit easier. So, yes, there's a lot of support that goes on. And um, a sort of slightly um, left of centre question is thinking about a lot of your patients will will have loved ones and may have partners that have comorbidities as well. Is there any capacity within the pulmonary rehabilitation programme to address any of the caregiver needs or, or is that just something that has to be done elsewhere? Absolutely. And in the sort of definition about pulmonary rehab, it's not only about focusing on the patient, but it's actually focusing on the people that they live with and how they can understand the programme and, 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 and the condition and which helps them, them manage it. And in the good old days, quite often, we would have wives, husbands, girlfriends, the wags, as I called them, coming in and, um, you know, looking at what they were achieving in the exercise and listening to the educational component because they would find that really very useful. And, of course, that's one thing that we've had to limit now since post-COVID. Yes, yeah, and that probably leads me on quite nicely to to ask um, how, with a a need for certainly the patients that that you're involved with, um, have had to shield uh, for quite protracted periods of time, how has that impacted your service and and what you can deliver uh, under the pulmonary rehab umbrella? Well, I mean, you know, when lockdown first hit, you know, our hospital became a COVID hospital. The ward area that I worked on became a critical care area for these poor, unfortunate patients with COVID. And all outpatient services stopped. And certainly here, the focus was on treating COVID patients. But I was very much aware of patients that had either started rehab and they had to stop or my maintenance class that were trying to do what they could um, themselves at home. And I think it was it was a very frightening time for all. And, you know, a lot of patients, I think, have maybe gone through the net when, you know, were, have taken a while to get picked back up into the service and get up and running again. Yes. And so moving forward, do you, do you think that... Um, we, we will have a hybrid approach to, to pulmonary rehab or, or do you think it's something that really needs to be delivered face to face? The hybrid approach is something that I'm doing and it really all started from during the lockdown, my maintenance programme class who knew each other quite well and some of them were quite IT literate and they took the lead of organising a Zoom maintenance class um, and as a, an NHS trust, we weren't allowed to host a Zoom class because it's deemed to be secure enough, but um, we could access it as a guest. So, uh, And we still do this. It's still a, a Zoom class that um, the patients host and we access it as a guest. And that's how really I got started with the virtual setting and then when we got the green light to be able to assess patients face to face we were able to start to pick rehab up again just done virtually and now we've had the green light from infection control actually we can have as many as five patients in the gym so actually what I've done is I've got five patients who attend face to face as I call it in the gym 
and 12 patients that attend virtually on the screen. I'm really lucky I managed to persuade the hospital to invest in this huge screen that I've got in the, in the gym where I can see 12 patients quite clearly. So it's about the size of 12 laptops, if you like, altogether the size of the screen. And we've got a wide and angled lens and a microphone. And it works well because I can get through 17 patients in one group, if you like. We've got 12 virtually, five face-to-face. -face. But it is a bit like running two separate classes at the same time. Because as you were alluding to, you know, that peer support that you that patients get from each other that they can't get from myself as a professional, but they get from each other because they know exactly what breathlessness feels like is difficult on the screen because patients at home can't always hear people at the back of the gym. Um, so it, it's a little bit hard to integrate them, but it is a good way of getting through the numbers. And I think I think that the virtual stuff is here to stay and quite rightly so because there's so many pros to it. But the hybrid session, I think I've got a bit of work to do with that. Um, and I think there's a huge appetite, actually, for patients to get back coming face to face. My maintenance class are desperate all to get back face to face. So that sounds incredibly novel that you're able to do a class in parallel. Um, I think that's probably pretty unique. Uh, across the UK that you deliver live whilst uh, pulling in patients through a digital platform as well. I, I was aware of lots of digital classes that have been set, set up that are exclusively digital, um, yes. but to have this combined approach is, is, is fantastic because it connects the patients as well. Um, so you, you said, Lorna, that one of the reasons for that is, is obviously managing infection control procedures and ensuring that um, not, not too many um, patients are in the room at the same time. But is there some patient choice? Are, are there advantages for patients to connect digitally over face to face or vice versa? Yes, I mean, there is patient choice in this. Um, the virtual programme, it takes quite a long time to set up because you have to have patients trained up on how to access Microsoft Teams, which is the virtual platform that we use. And, you know, not everybody is IT literate. Um, and I have to say, hats off to many of the 80-year-olds that we have that are using their iPads and laptops to, to access it. Um, but it, it's it's not for it's not for everyone, um, and some patients will say, "Oh, I really would rather come face to face," or actually, if they live a long way away, on a day like today when I'm looking out the window and seeing the rain coming down, you know, for some patients, the thought of getting in the car or even worse, public transport, trying to get to the venue, get from the car parking area to the gym. And then they've got the exercise and education session to complete and then that journey home again. That can be pretty exhausting and daunting for some people. And actually, it's much easier to click on a link on their computer at home. It isn't as much fun, of course, but um, they can do it. What I would say is, you know, when people come to pulmonary rehab, we're wanting them to get fitter and stronger. And a lot of that is done through the exercise. So it's vital that they're doing the exercise properly. Um, 
And quite often, you know, their cameras are maybe pointing at the ceiling or even the dog. So you're not really getting an idea of what they're doing to be able to correct their technique. And I think people who come in face to face, you can see exactly what they're doing and you're able to correct it. And likewise, they can they can see us quite clearly, too. So, Lorna, you've mentioned a maintenance class. Uh, so, presumably, the opposite to that is an assessment. How, how does yeah. that how does that work in in practice? The the assessment when when patients come up for assessment, we see them individually. Uh, we, pop, we perform a, a maximal symptom limited walking test, um, and this is quite different to probably the walking test that most of the ILD patients do, which is a six-minute walk test. So I do a shuttle walk test with them, which is a bit harder, but it's very good at provoking oxygen desaturations. So quite often we'll pick up the need for ambulatory oxygen at that stage. And it's really useful to see how breathless they get how they rate it, because we get them to rate their breathlessness, and how long it takes for them to recover. Because as I was saying earlier on, there is a huge focus on how their breathlessness is challenged and managed, which helps them ultimately live with it. Um, other assessments that we do, as well as the walking test, we do um, a sit-to-stand test, where we get them to stand up five times as quickly as possible without using their hands. So this tells us a bit about muscle strength, coordination and balance to a degree. And there's a new outcome measure that I'm going to put in, which is a tandem balance. So that's a bit like a, a tight rope stand to see if people can stand heel to toe for as long as 30 seconds. We know balance is a huge issue and contributes to falls as we get older. So that's something that I'm looking at. And they do a health and well-being questionnaire as well. So the, these are the, the assessment tests that we perform at the start of the programme. They then go into the six-week programme and we repeat them at the end, where hopefully we see an improvement in those outcome measures. And can I ask, um, uh, in, in regard to what has been published um, on knowing how impactful pulmonary rehabilitation is for patients with interstitial lung disease, and there's some discussion in the community that patients with a restrictive breathing, breathing pattern benefit from more frequent courses of, of pulmonary rehabilitation. What, what are your thoughts on that, Lorna? I'm sure that's right. And I'm sure that's not just to the ILD group. But yes, I, I, I'm sure that's right. And certainly um, my maintenance programme, again, I would say it's 80 percent um, ILD patients, and they found that very useful to have that once weekly supervised exercise program. Pre-COVID, they used to come into the gym and because they'd already done a program, I gave them a bit more autonomy and they could do more or less within reason, whatever they liked. Um, some of them just liked to use exercise bikes, some of them used to use the rower. Um, but we gave them a lot more autonomy. Sometimes they would go a little bit off-piste and they even performed a, a flash mob dance in the hospital reception before the Christmas before COVID, which was quite amusing for all concerned. But we're getting there. We're doing. They're now doing this hybrid. We can only have five of the maintenance um, patients coming into that. Um, 
but that that for me that has been very useful to see how patients certainly with ILD manage their condition and you know ultimately it can as the disease progress you see patients transition to not needing oxygen to requiring oxygen to having to sort of tone the exercise down a bit and that's quite right you know we all have to adapt to things that we can't do as as situations change yeah and you mentioned earlier Lorna that um you have a singing coach as well so is singing yes. a core element of the pulmonary rehab program or is it an is it an adjunct it's it's an adjunct, but it's actually becoming very popular. And I was just um, reading earlier on, although I haven't read the article, about how useful um, singing for breathing can be in sort of respiratory care. I don't actually advertise it for singing for breathing because it puts a lot of the men off particular in the group. So I think I um, title it as vocalisation, breathing techniques and relaxation. But she has got some fantastic ideas and different ways around getting people to think about the breathing. And of course, singing is just breath control. And uh, she certainly managed to get a few more punters into her group from Pumri Rehab. So that's good. So I think I I have noticed in the digital community, there's been a real surge in in singing groups that have evolved. Uh, I guess there are advantages by joining digitally in the fact that you can mute yourself if you're conscious of the sound that you're making. I just say absolutely. And the 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 muting yourself is uh, is quite an interesting point. I actually don't get our patients to mute themselves at home because a, I like to be able to have a bit of spontaneous conversation going if we can. However, it can be um, a bit distracting if people have the doorbell ringing, the telephone going off, or if they have a coughing about it. But I think that's something that we just have to live with. But yes, I, I take your point. If if your voice isn't the best, then you maybe don't want everyone to hear it. <laughs> um. And you mentioned as well as, as part of that vocalisation group, possibly some relaxation exercises. Is, is that drawing on principles from things like yoga and Pilates? It is. It is. It goes into a lot more into sort of more sort of relaxed breathing. So you don't have to be able to take the deepest breath in. So if you haven't got a large lung capacity, you can still afford yourself some relaxation through breathing techniques and also through um, muscle relaxation techniques of the of the major muscles in your body. And she looks a lot at posture and positioning as well. So it sounds like uh, the patients in the Papworth area uh, have a fantastic opportunity for both pulmonary rehabilitation and some uh, adjunct support as well to manage breathlessness. And I wonder if I could ask you, I'm I'm aware of the the early work that Sarah Booth did up in Cambridge in, in relation to the Cambridge Breathlessness Intervention Service. Um, and so would you take referrals from that service as well? Is that is that permissible or is that run in a in a separate way? Yes, very much so. And um we have our own sort of small breathlessness service as well. 
I have to say, I wonder if patients might be better to do rehab first before they go into the breathless intervention service. Pulmonary rehab is very active. So while people can do and still can do, then they should be doing so. You know, it's more about actually improving people's physical strength and endurance, as well as um, teaching them more about their conditions so they feel a bit more empowered. And I think probably the empowering side of thing comes more in breathlessness clinics and certainly the breathlessness intervention service. Any other thing that I would like to ask, uh, Lorna, is you mentioned uh, as a consequence of the shuttle walk test, you uh, you may pick up patients who need to be referred for ambulatory oxygen um, and we all know that transitions to oxygen are, are, are very challenging. How does that uh, work within your service in terms of the referral and the support? It's pretty straightforward, actually. Um, if I think somebody needs ambulatory oxygen, I'll I'll do an uh, oxygen prescription for them, obviously liaising with the um, nurse specialists of that particular team. Um, and I think particularly with the ILD patients, um, a lot of patients are attracted to the portable oxygen concentrator. But because that delivers a pulsed form, it's really only useful, I feel, if you've got just low flow oxygen level requirements. So I think when you're exerting yourself and you're only getting a pulse delivery of oxygen, it's maybe not man enough, if you like, to to support them. And quite often they're better with cylinders on a continual flow or liquid oxygen, possibly. Uh, so, so Lorna, you're obviously a very experienced physiotherapist and pulmonary rehabilitation is just one component of your role. Um, how does physiotherapy contribute to other aspects of care? So my, my, my main job, if you like, is working in respiratory support. Um, and uh, it's quite interesting. Sort of, I, I didn't really have any great burning desire to work in the field of respiratory or rehab. It was just kind of something that I fell into. And I ended up working on a ward that pioneered the start of non-invasive ventilation for people to use in the home as, as well as in the hospital. And I'm going back to the 1990s here, so I'm a bit of a dinosaur, I'm afraid. And, you know, we were seeing patients who had not only lung disease, but they might have had a chest wall deformity like scoliosis, um, obese patients, patients with neuromuscular disease from myopathies, muscular dystrophies, motor neuron disease. Um, and we also developed a, a weaning unit uh, for patients that were, were struggling to get off invasive ventilation in critical care areas. And they often fell into that those patient uh, groups that I was talking about. Um, and this highlighted to me the importance of rehab when people who had undergone a critical care illness and a critical care stay were terribly deconditioned. Um, and it was good to really, th this was my first um, experience of doing pulmonary rehab really with patients um, in a variety of diagnosis and not just lung disease. Um, and then, of course, when um, our ward moved to um, Patworth, we were originally at Newmarket, which is more famous for its horse racing than its respiratory care. But we moved to Patworth Hospital when general hospitals were being um, 
downsized, if you like. Um, so it seemed a, an ideal opportunity to go to a cardiothoracic hospital, which was back in 1992. And I thought, well, I'll give it six months. And six months later, or rather 40 years later, I'm still here, but it's early days. We'll see how it goes. Thank you. So, Lorna, one of the things um, I guess that is important about the clinical services we offer are the guidelines that underpin best practice. And I think that there has been some work going on in this regard uh, from possibly the British Thoracic Society and the American Thoracic Society. How do the guidelines fit with the service that you you offer? Well, I'd like to say that they they, they do fit. Um, you know, we're looking at patients need to have a twice weekly supervised exercise program that should incorporate strength training for the major muscles in your legs and arms, um, as well as providing the educational component that we do. And really, with a view to doing this, there is. Um, accreditation that pulmonary rehab programs can um, apply for Um, and it's really it's not to standardize every program but it's to make sure programs are attaining those standards that have been set Um, and I think unfortunately with um, the COVID outbreak people having to change how they're delivering uh, pulmonary rehab is making quite difficult to try and work out how you're going to accredit your programme when it's changing so much. But certainly some um, centres have already gone through their accreditation. And it's, I think it's a good thing to, to make sure everybody is, has applied those standards that should be applied, but not necessarily every programme delivers pulmonary rehab in exactly the same way because people will have different strengths that they can afford like, for example, my singing or breathing coach, which I'm very proud of. How do you see the future for pulmonary rehabilitation in relation to your service? Well, I mean, we all know that the benefits of pulmonary rehab really can't be disputed. And in many ways, COVID has forced our hand at delivering this in a different way, which has maybe actually opened, opened it up to more patients than before. And it would be ideal to provide pulmonary rehab for all who need it and in the form that they're able to access. Yes, yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, Thank you very much, Lorna. It's been really interesting uh, talking to you and you've given us some really good insights into pulmonary rehabilitation and uh, the hybrid offerings that you have in, in Papworth, which sound exceptional. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. 